All right, Butch, I'm gonna, I'll, we'll be, I'll be uh, giving you some places to go. We're going to take our time and go through some things. But 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 12, uh, we'll start there. We've got a lot of things to, I want to say tonight. Try to, I want to try to get through this, and we can kind of move on through the book of John. And uh, we'll be talking about the Antichrist and all that stuff next Wednesday. And uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, we're going to, I'm going to talk, we're, I'll come back to that and we explain that a little bit, but I want you to understand to the, to the people that he was writing to, he was not writing to uh, uh, children, he was, he was writing to the church, but they were children in their experience, okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he said, because your sins are forgiven you for whose sake? Why does he forgive you? For his sake. I mean, I, 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 when, you, when you first get saved as a, as a, a new Christian, you don't, sometimes, most times, don't even know what happened to you. You have no knowledge. In fact, more and more people today, even in America, there's... There, you, you, I'm amazed that people who come to the Lord without, they have a lot of stuff up here, but not a lot of really true knowledge about the Lord. So they're saved, and they're saved for his sake, and, they, and they're starting a process. Let me ask you this question. We've been talking about sin, but uh, th th here's a question. How much sin can we get away with? Oh, yeah? Okay, now watch it. How much, how, have you heard this old saying? How close to the world can you live and still be a Christian? Okay. Okay, okay. But is it a good practice to just to see how close to the world you can live? Okay, now that, okay. See, because some come into the church and get saved and... Uh, how many has ever heard this? And you call yourself a Christian. And you call yourself a Christian. Well, how many knows? And the rest of that saying is that Christians aren't perfect. They're just, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. And they have issues. We all have issues. Billy Graham has issues. All the TV evangelists has issues. They probably got more issues than you know. They don't want you to know their issues. You'll quit sending them the checks. <laughs> the issues, sin. Is the church getting worldly? Yes. How many agrees? Come on. Getting worldly. What's your concept of worldly? Is your concept, you know, we, me and Linda watched a movie last night, it was called Time Changers, and it's about a guy that's in the early or late 1800s, he is a, he is a seminary professor in uh, some town, and he is writing a book, and he's writing a book on morality, and uh, one of the deans of the college uh, upholds him, says, you need to always connect morality with 
why, if you say it's wrong to steal, you need to tell, say why it's wrong to steal. It's, it's Jesus is against stealing. You need to connect the authority with that moral value because if you don't, later on down the line, several years, people who just have morality without being connected to what, who, who wants them to be moral, okay? So, and so they have this big conflict. Make a long story short, this guy has a time machine. And the reason is he's so opposed to the book that this guy is, that he's wanting him, that he has written and want his, him to, what, what do you call it when you uh, want him to recommend it or whatever? Anyway, he said, I can't do that. So he comes to his house and he takes him down into his, or out to his uh, shop, sends him into the future, into the 21st century. Now, do you know what kind of a culture shock that is to somebody in the 1800s? And he gets out. And, and he, <laughs> he gets down and starts roving around and, and starts running into people and all the body piercing and all the other stuff. He goes into a department store and he's going, he's going down the aisle and he goes and he stops and the camera shows the back of this mannequin. And he's going. And he sees this girl mannequin and he, you know... He goes on by and <laughs> he goes to the manager and he says, do you think that's appropriate dress to have out front? You see how far we've fallen? Now, none of us even bother that, do we? That don't bother any of us. Why? Because sometimes we get desensitized. He went into a movie with a church group. <laughs> and it doesn't show the movie, but all I want to his mouth like this. And he runs out, it shows him running out of the, of the theater and he gets a hold of the little kid up selling the popcorn and he says, stop the movie, you got to stop that movie, they're blaspheming the Lord's name. All the other people in the church group thought he was nuts. He went to witnessing with, with the church group. They took him to movies and the next night he went witnessing with the church group, prospective new visitors. While the guy was telling, while one guy on the team was telling the folks what they could expect from the church and all the outings and the trips and the ball games and all this other stuff that they were saying that, the, the, that they could expect from the church, he's watching, the, the mom yells at the kid, hey, turn the TV down! He's looking over at the kid on the couch. Kid didn't do nothing. You know, they're talking over here and then the mom yells again, Turn the TV down. And he, and he said, he talk, walks over to the boy and says, do you know what's wrong to be disrespectful to your parents? And then he looked on the TV and there's two young people making out and he, he goes over and jumps in front of the TV and he says, oh my God, these people are, shouldn't be kissing in front of this boy. And, and uh, can you imagine the culture shock? It played in all of our houses last night. Church is getting worldly, isn't it? Can you imagine the culture shock that we come forward? Now we do things, we don't even think about stuff that if you brought somebody a hundred years into the future, they would have a they would collapse at the stuff that we do. They would the unimaginable things. See that 
He, he, he thought, man, the, the kid was disrespectful. You can't disrespect your parents. That's a, that's a sin. And it is a sin for a child to be disrespectful because the way they treat you is the way they're going to treat their Heavenly Father because you're an image of, you're an image of the Heavenly Father to them. They can't see their Heavenly Father. They see their earthly Father. So the way they treat you is the way they're going to disrespect the Lord. But we better get off that because we're talking about sin, aren't we? You see, everybody's concept of worldliness is different. Everybody's concept of worldliness and sin is different. I want you to notice the four stages of Christian's experience. Four stages of Christian experience. Now get a hold of this because we're going to see ourselves in some of this. In fact, Everyone in this building will be in one of these four stages or in the process of one of these four stages. Nobody in this room will be exempt. You're, you're in one of these stages, the four stages of Christian experience. Number one, I, I've, now if you want to know where that number is, I've got a big Greek uh, strong concordance at home. And those numbers there, if you ever go to the bookstore and you want to do some word studies, Hebrew and Greek word studies, Get the old, good old strong concordance. Those of you who had a computer can get it on disk, put it on your uh, computer. But these were the words that, are, that was found, that would be found in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 12. The Greek word for uh, children there is, means actually infant. It means newborn. I write to you little children. Then that term children there is, is, is a, a reference to a newborn, an infant. Uh, a word that is left out there is the grandma word when she sees her grandbaby for the first time. How many of you have heard, oh, aren't they darling? That's exactly what that, a little darling. They're a, just a little darling, aren't they? You know, an infant. That, he said, I'll write to you. He's not, and, I, and he's talking to them now in terms of their Christian experience. If you are new in the Lord, if you have just get, gotten saved, given your heart to the Lord, that just a few days or weeks ago, you fit this category. You don't know nothing. You're an infant when it comes to spiritual things. You may have a lot of knowledge running around your head, but you haven't got to sort it out yet, and there's not really a lot of understanding about what you do know. You can know a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff that I have absolutely no understanding about. I have a, I have a lot of knowledge about the TV. I go over there and turn it on. And I can use the remote and change the channel, but I don't know how that thing works. I don't understand how that thing works. So knowledge has, at some point, has to start getting down to understanding, okay? So he's talking. This is a Christian experience. Secondly, it gives the Greek word for, uh, for a child, all right? It's found uh, in verse 13. Here's another reference to children. But this term children means a half-grown child. Those who are able to walk and talk. Now, so they've gone from being an infant, not being able to do anything, dependent, totally dependent upon uh, the mother. Now, now they're uh, to, uh, to the point where they're walking. And John said, I'm writing, I'm writing to you guys. I'm writing to these type people. And then the third one uh, is young men. Those grown uh, to the prime of life, roughly around 30 uh, or 40. Your reference in the natural would be like they're 30 to 40 years old. Uh, so, but it's, it's to young men, those that have grown, and we'll talk about the stages of growth and how you understand that in just a moment. And the fourth one, those who are mature, talks about that word is pater. That's where we get the root word paternity, or paternal. He is, a, is your paternal father, 
okay, or whatever. So that's, that's the root word for that. And it means those who are mature in the Lord, are uh, grown up, are old in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, what does, uh, go, to, go to verse 13 up there. Now, what does John say that the young men have accomplished? What do you say the young men have done? They've done what? Okay, they've overcome. Now, I want to I share something with you. The Greek word for overcome is N-I-K-A-O. It means to, and you need to put this down, it means to prevail. It means to conquer. And I like this last part. I like this last one. Get the victory over. Okay, young men, you've, now see, the child hasn't been able to get victory over it yet. They have no understanding. They're, they're, they're saved. They're, they're newborn. They're growing. They're, they're, they're starting to gain knowledge. They're going through the transition. But young men now have got into their prime, and they have learned how to get the victory over. Now, is there some issues in your life that you need to get the victory over? Has there been things in the past that you've gotten victory over it? So if, you, if there is, you can identify with what, the, what these are at. And then as they, as they transition farther, as they get older in the Lord, it gets a little bit easier to be an overcomer or to get victory over the issues in your life. That's just a process, a natural process of growth. Now, I want you to notice something here. Unlike natural growth, unlike natural growth, spiritual growth is determined by the individual. Time has nothing to do with your spiritual growth has everything to do with your outlook about spiritual things. And I want to give you three of them. I, I, I call it the big three, okay? Natural growth, unlike natural growth, spiritual growth is determined by the individual. Number one is commitment. Commitment. If you are not committed to the Lord, you will not get past the infant stage. If you are half-hearted, if you are not, if you have not, when you said yes to Jesus, if it was, if it was, if it was not wholehearted, I'm telling you right now, you are not, you are not going to grow in the Lord. It, you can't make a halfway commitment to God. You just can't do it and not be successful. You had to be totally committed to following God regardless of what it's going to cost you. That's hard to do, but to be successful and to go through the stages of growth, you've got to be fully committed, not half-hearted. In fact, the scripture talks about being, you're going to serve God with half a heart. How, many, how much of your heart are you going to, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's how you're going to serve God. Now, if you've come to God with any other commitment but that one, I'm telling you, you're going to really struggle with this thing because you're constantly going to be torn with, with the issues that you come out of and all that stuff, and, and they're always constantly going to be holding you and pulling you back because you're not totally committed to following. And then secondly, desire, your passion. It's got to be a desire. Desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word. There's got to be a desire. And when you get, now, when a, when a baby is born, the first thing he wants to do is what? In the natural. He, won't, he wants to eat. Now we're waiting on a we're waiting on a colt, okay? We we are watching, we are watching, and, and that thing's gonna be that thing gonna be born any day now. You know, within a few minutes, you know what that colt's gonna do? You know what he's gonna do next? And eat and eat and eat. I mean, that's it exactly.
there's something inside that animal that he knows he's got he's to find where the milk comes from. And within, within, nobody has to help him. There is a desire. There is something. In, and, and when you are born again and your spirit man is, when that new birth experience, I'm telling you, there is a birth of a passion. There's birth of a desire. I mean, the word of God is not the same anymore. Before I got saved, you could, I didn't care anything about the Bible. I didn't care about preaching. I didn't care about church. I didn't care about none of that stuff. Why? Because I was dead spiritually. But the moment I was born again, you know, I didn't care who was preaching. I liked it. That's strange. I couldn't wait. Boy, before I was like this. Dear Jesus, that guy is. How many, how many has been like that? You know, you go, oh, my God. He's a dull, door, boring guy. Can't you know, I've got things to do, places to go. After I got saved, whew, I didn't care who it was. I, I mean, church, couldn't wait for church to start. Why? Because there was a birth. Now, you have to feed that desire. You have to feed that, you have to feed that passion. Now, if you don't feed that desire, you just, you just stop feeding that passion, and it will, it will leave you. It will, it will leave you. I'm telling you for sure, but you have to feed that and fan those flames. And then the third one is obedience. First one is commitment, wholehearted commitment. First one's a passion or desire. Flame the desire and the passion for serving God and then obedience. Listen, partial obedience is not going to get the job done. Partial obedience is just not going to cut it. When you know God wants you to do something and you don't do it, it is what? What is it? It's sin. Okay. So knowing that, knowing that, then, and I don't want to displease the Lord. I don't want, right? So I'm going to apply this. I want to apply what I've learned in my life. Now, I have a question. Butch, I want you to follow along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse, all, I've got all these scriptures and we're going to go right through them, okay? Because there's a transition that people have to go through from the childish stage to where you get into the place where you can really crank it on, okay? Where you can really get strong in the Lord. There's a transition stage you have to go through. Paul said it this way. When I became a man, I put away, what? When I became a man, I put away childish things. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. And he's saying it now. So there's a transition that everybody has to go through if you're going to leave the elements of being a child and an infant behind, and you're going to go into maturity and places where you can overcome. See, I, I want to be an overcomer. I want to get the victory over this thing. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be a patsy. I don't want to be a victim. I never did like being that way. I mean, you don't go into a fight expecting to lose. You don't go into a fight, I mean, throwing, throwing, I mean, you want to get the victory over this thing. And the same way as living for God. Leave the childish thing. Get into this thing wholeheartedly and learn how to be an overcomer in your life. I mean, am I making sense to you? Now look, how, how do you understand or how do you know that people hadn't made the transition? Well, the scripture tell, well, talk, tells us, all right? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, who? Who's he talking to? All the brethren, raise your hand. Okay. Could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to what? What? 
Now, th these were older folks. This is the church. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And he's saying, listen, I, could not, when I, I couldn't talk to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You know what babes are? Babes in Christ, people that have just gotten saved, born again, and that's as far as they go. You can't tell them from the rest of the world. They're just like the, they're just like the crowd you came out of. They, they're ruled by the flesh. Okay, now isn't that what he says? I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now are, uh, you are still not able. Verse 3, for you are still what? Now what does carnal mean? Fleshly. Now, how do you know if there's uh, Christians are walking in the flesh? For there's envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Are mere unbelievers? And he was talking to a church. How do, you, how do you know? He's talking about babes in Christ. They're always involved in strife, a lot of drama. How drama going on. I mean, there's just all kinds of drama. Always in their life. Life is surrounded by drama. They're, they're child, they're babes. Never grow up. Get over it. Get the victory over that. And come out of that stuff. Now, let's go to the next, go to my next one, all right? And we're going to go on here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Now, before this, he's talking about in God, or Jesus left some for the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the sake of the work of the ministry, that we should what? That we should no longer be children. And what is the mark of a child? Tossed to and fro and carried out with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning crafts. If Listen, one of the marks of a child is you're always falling for something. I mean, you're always after snake oil, quick fixes, running. <laughs> Boy, oh, Jesus, I better get off this. <clears throat> Toss to and fro, catching a hold of some new doctrine that comes through. Every once in a while, a new doctor comes sweeping through the church, and little children, Christians, will just snap at the hook, and they'll be carried along with it. Don't swallow anything too soon until you study it out because that's a mark of a child. There has to be a transition from, some, from maturity, from a children, child to maturity. And go to Hebrews now, Butch. Hebrews chapter 5. Now, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, so evidently they've been saved for a while, right? They've been saved for enough time that they should be teachers. Paul's saying, I don't know what space of time that is, but he's saying, by this time you ought to be. Now, who's he talking to? Talking to us, isn't he? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principle. Here, here's, here's Christians now that's been in church for enough time that they ought to be teachers themselves have need of somebody setting them down and teaching them again the very basic principles of salvation and baptism. And, and now notice this. This is so funny. The first principles of the oracle of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a, what? He is a babe. Verse 14. 
But solid food belongs to those who are of our full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Verse 15, or as we go to the next chapter. What, are the, what, what does he say? There's about five or six things there that he talks about as the first principles of the, of, of the, of the Word of God, the, the basic principles. One of them, one of them is resurrections and future things. And I, I get a kick out of those people when they're first saved. The first book they want to read is what? <laughs> Why? That's because that's milk. That's, that's, that's just what they'd go for. They can't understand it, but it's milk. What's the difference between milk and meat? Now, in the natural, how many, how many would just have a, like to have a steady diet of milk? Come on, let's just, let's just make a pact right now that we're not going to do nothing but drink milk for the next three weeks. How about it? You're not really going for that. You, yeah, once in a while, you got to throw some chicken or something in there. Yeah, Mona says she can tell you about it. She probably got sick of it, right? Got insured and all that stuff. I mean, throw me a little bone or some meat in there, okay? A little while, okay? All right, what's the difference between milk teaching and, and meat? If you go to the Word of God, how, of course, in Hebrews it talks about, you know, the first principles, the baptisms and resurrections and, you know, salvation. But if you go to, you know, what's the difference uh, between milk? He said, Paul said, I have fed you with milk. You weren't able to handle it. So what is it? Responsibility. All right. Absolutely. Responsibility is, is meat. Everybody wants to receive, but that's milk. No, not too many people lining up to sacrifice and give. That, that would be meat, wouldn't it? All right, now notice this. The gifts of the Spirit is milk. The fruit of the Spirit is meat. Development of the fruit in your life. In fact, Paul said it this way. Though I speak with the tongues of angels and of men, and I have not love, it profits me nothing. See, because love is fruit. Because the gifts are, are, are milk. So you understand, you understand that sometimes we just want to line up behind the, the milk issues and the, the easy stuff, and we want to leave the meat alone. Milk is Jesus died for my sin. Milk is I died to my sin in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? See, I died. Yeah, but see, the, the milk, I mean, we want to line up behind the milk, but see, there's no, there's only a, a, a certain place you can grow with the milk. And somewhere we had to transition into the maturity level where we gain and get the victory and go into maturity. Now, notice something. The first two stages do not reproduce. They do not have the ability to reproduce their children. Only the older ones reproduce themselves. As long as Christian people stay infantile, they'll never reproduce themselves. They'll never be discipling people. They'll never be involved in ministry. Not because it's not available, it's simply because they are infants. They have never grown and transitioned to the place where they really get involved with what God is doing. That's meat. 
Are you discipling somebody? Getting real quiet. All the way. You have to go all the way. Now notice. Notice this. All temptation to sin comes through three areas. Back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. All temptation to sin comes through three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In the garden, Eve saw that the tree was good for what? Food, and it was one to make her wise. The three, three channels. Satan knows how to, to get to you. Okay, now notice this. 4,000 years later, here comes Jesus in the wilderness. Satan comes to him to tempt him. What areas he tempt him in? For, hey, you're, he, was he hungry? Whew, man, he was fasting. He had been fasting for, what, 40 days. Make these stones bread. Good lust of the flesh. Lust, and he, then he, he attacked him with, with the pride of life. Go on up here. Throw, throw yourself down. I mean, you're just going to amaze all these people. I mean, they'll, I mean, so all of these three areas, he, he tend, now Eve fell, but he, he, he got the victory over the same temptations. The temptations that come from the world system and from the enemy, they know how to find your, they know how to find, hit the target. Okay, and I really want to, I want to share some things with you because I got some insight this week that I want to share with you. Now notice, everyone is tempted. Everyone is tempted. Everyone, no one is above temptation. No one's exempt. Jesus was tempted. If he was tempted, there's nobody exempt. Everybody's tempted. James chapter one, verse 14. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. The temptation itself, okay? For a long time, especially when I was young and teenager, I thought the temptation was a sin. And I was constantly robbed of the victory of my salvation. I really wanted to live for God, but I, I would have an impure thought before I left the building. So I'd leave the building all defeated, and the enemy would use that. See there, you can't live for God. You've already had an impure thought. Well, I think it's a proven fact that men, especially young men, think about sex about every three seconds. <laughs> that's statistics. That's the truth. I don't know what the women's problems are. But that one right there keeps us men busy. <laughs> Gotta let all the men say big amen. We we know I mean let's can we talk? Especially when you're a teenager. Okay. So I mean we can we talk here? I mean, are we gonna be real in this place? We have to deal with these issues, the temptation, but I thought the temptation was the sin. So I, I constantly was defeated. And the enemy would, would defeat me all the time. And, and you know what the tragedy was? I really wanted to serve God. I really wanted to serve God, but he kept me defeated because I, I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have, now, and, and listen, the word is what helps. When you, get, when you start renewing your mind, this is where you get your strength. When, when you transition out of the, as you're learning and you're coming through these infant stages and childish stages and you start transitioning into a man, you start beginning to understand what you know. And your mind starts getting renewed and so you get strength and you start getting victory over the issues that give you a problem. And the enemy cannot conquer you anymore in those areas, okay? 
So you have to understand that. All right, now, notice this. These are things that make us vulnerable. These are things that make us vulnerable. Number one, put habits. Habits. Some of you, how many had some habits when you came to the Lord? <laughs> oh, dear Jesus. Can we talk? Bad habits. Did you coming to Jesus take care of all of them? No. That's another thing that I thought. I thought when you came to Jesus, he just, you, you, lived, you lived in celestial air. I thought you drifted on clouds. You know, I thought, whew, when you get saved, I mean, brother. I mean, you're almost right there, almost next to sainthood. That's my concept. I don't, now, I, how I got that, I don't know. But that was my concept of, of when you get saved, when you get really saved, you, you just float through this thing and, and uh, on clouds and breathe, you know, all this. I mean, you just won't have these problems. Well, I had some habits. I really had some habits. I, I had a smoking habit that was killing me. Yeah. <laughs> I used to come into the cafe down there and that before I got saved. <laughs> Yeah, don't cut the smoke. <laughs> don't talk to her. <laughs> no, habits. Oh, say, okay, you, get to, you come to the Lord, you still have the habits. See, here was a saying that we used to go, you know, here, how many's heard this? Boy, when I get my life together, I'm going to get saved. How many's ever said that beside me? You know, I always told myself, boy, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to get saved. Yeah, I'm gonna get. Yeah, I'm gonna get. Well, you can't straighten up. <laughs> you ain't straightened up yet. You know. And well, if we could straighten ourselves up, we wouldn't need Jesus. So we get the cart before the horse, and uh, we need to come to Jesus. Then and then, he, you, me and Jesus, you and Jesus, get your act together. Okay, that's the way it goes. But I had all these concepts. So habits. Our, we're vulnerable in our habits and he uses our, you know, our habits against us and, and, and defeats us in those areas over and over again. Now listen, if you, make, if, you, if you fail, get back up. God's on your side. He's not condemning you. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. He's on your side. If the enemy comes in and tells you, you see there, you can't live for God, he's a liar. He's a liar. He knows you can and the Holy Spirit's going to get stronger. You're going to get more knowledge. You're going to get stronger in the Lord. You're going to do those things you're com because you're committed to this stuff, okay? Then you're going to get stronger. And then personal weaknesses. Personal weaknesses. Are, are you, you could even put in there your personalities. You know, different personalities have different struggles. Some people are, are insecure. Uh, I mean, all these issues... That now, can habits be changed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can your personality weaknesses be changed? Absolutely. See, all of these things can be worked on, but until they do, they are used against us. There, there are, what's that guy that, that had the, he was invulnerable everywhere, but he's healed. Yeah, HLE's healed or whatever it was. Anyway, that, that's what they use against us, okay? And he's very good at lying to you. Especially when you, when you don't follow through or you fail in some of these areas. How about genetics? Put down genetics. Now, I want to tell you something. Now, you think, how does that work? 
I do not have a problem with drug. I never had a problem with drugs or alcohol. Okay? I never liked drinking. I did a little drinking, but I didn't like it all that much. I took, I used drugs one time in Vietnam. I had a bad experience. I smoked some pot. I went goofy. And I don't like going goofy. Out in the middle of the jungle going goofy. And one little voice would tell me, shut up. Somebody might be drawing a bead on you. And then the other little voice, I couldn't. Everything was funny because when my, one little voice says, you could get shot if you don't shut up. The other voice says, ain't that funny? And I just laughed like crazy. <laughs> and I told myself, self, if I get over this, <laughs> if I can get through this without getting shot tonight, I'll never do this again. And I didn't. And I didn't. I get there are some people that have the genetic code that they, you take one drink. Take one drink. There is something in their system, in their genetic code, that they are susceptible to be an alcoholic. Bud Cullen, how many knows Bud Cullen? When he got saved, he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, there's not a day in my life that goes by that I am not tempted to pick up that bottle. He probably drank a fifth of whiskey every day of his life. It was just something that he did. But when he came to Christ, Christ gave him the power and the strength to resist that. But he was tempted with it every day of his life. Why? Because it was in his genetic code. Did he get victory over it? Yes. And I'm, 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 probably, I'm saying this, there was probably some times that he may have slipped off the wagon. But it was in his genetic code and that was a weakness in, his area, in that area. And just some people are more susceptible to stuff that other people aren't. So, so I'm telling you, so when these temptations have come, uh, it, it finds its way through this. And then how about environment? You know, the way we were raised really affects our outlook on what is sin and what is not. It really does. True story. Missionary goes to Africa. And the whole village gets saved, including the chief. And the missionary said, founds out that he has 12 wives. Well, chief, you, you can't have 12 wives. That's, that's against the Bible. God's not pleased. You've got to have one wife. Chief says, oh, really? Okay. Missionary came back in a year. He said, well, chief, what did you do? He said, got one wife. He said, well, what did you do with the other 11? He said, I ate one a month. Now, which is worse? <laughs> I lied. Now, which would be worse? Now, you go into a culture, you go into a culture that's totally different than this one. Where... where where multiple wives, where they had had them for centuries, and you tell a chief that you can only have one wife. So what, what is he going to do? You eat one a month, you get down to one. See, the way we were raised, the way we were raised, our environment that we was raised in, 
causes us to see things differently. Okay, now environment inside, environment inside. The environment inside of our heart, the, envi the environment inside of our head, the things we live with has a lot to do with the way that we approach sin. And of course, our outside environment of where we live and where we work and where we play has a lot to do with how temptation and everything comes our way. You understand what I'm saying? All of these things play against us until we grow to the point in the Lord where we get victory over this because all of these things can be changed. But sometimes they're not changed instantly just because you got saved. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You have to work on these issues. And if you don't work on these issues, then you are going to play into the enemy's hands. And I'm telling you, uh, he, he, is, he is very smart. He's been around for a very long time and he knows how to push our buttons. Okay? There are some personalities that get angry faster than others. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I won't go there, huh? Six steps to temptation. Go to James chapter 1, verse 14. Uh-oh, it, it went off on me. We got it? <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 14. Under number one, put tempted. The six steps, tempted, number one. The seed is planted, okay? Every man is tempted. The seed is planted. It could be an opportunity. And, it, and, and, and uh, it comes in through the five senses. What's the five senses? Okay, okay. But somehow it gets in and the seed is planted. The, tempt, the temptation comes, okay? But each one is what? A thought is a seed, okay? Seed produces. Now, all right, this is not sin, but the temptation comes, and no one is exempt from it, okay? Then notice what? When he is drawn away, but drawn away. That's the second point. Drawn away. He gets into, so as the seed is sown, instead of you taking care of it, now it begins to just kind of lay there in your imagination. You start to play with the idea. You know, you push it out of your mind, but it comes back. You begin to just kind of mull this thing over. Okay, just being drawn away. Okay, drawn away by his what? Own desires. Now, or you can put down lust, or his own lust. You start taking delight. It's gone past just kind of, you know, laying there in your imagination. Now you start taking delight in, in thinking about it. Start taking delight in thinking about it. It's just there, and it's more than just imagination. You start thinking now in 3D, okay? What's the fourth one? Enticed. Enticed. Put enticed down. Involves a weakening of the will. Now you, the seed was planted. It's got into your imagination, and you haven't rejected it yet. Goes in your imagination, you start taking delight. Hey, that's, it kind of, you know, some of those thoughts are pretty pleasurable on your mind. You know, you just kind of replay those things. But if you're not careful, then your will begins to weaken. Involves a weakening of the will. Then what happens? All right. And then when desire has what? Everybody know what conceived is? How many ladies ever conceived? 
You've, you start to yield. You become pregnant with this thing. Now it's, now it's inside of you, okay? So desire is conceived. And then what? The act. Sin. But it all started with right here. It's a process. Now I realize that sometimes we slip and say a word we shouldn't say. You know, I think there's some things that we do, boom, you know, off the cuff, spontaneous type stuff. But a lot of deadly sins don't just happen. They're incubated for a while. They're incubated for a while, okay? But the good news is, if and when we sin, if and when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Aren't you glad for Jesus? Whew. Oh, God, I'm so glad I'm saved. If and when we sin, because I don't think you don't have to sin every day. I don't think we have to say things ugly that we have to ask God to forgive. I don't think we have to, you know, lose our temper. And, and I don't think we have to do a lot of those things that, that people do. I don't think we have to do that. But if we do, and when we do, we do have an advocate with the Father. And in the process of our growth, if we have been disobedient, which most of us have, all disobedience is sin. And when, we get, when, when the Holy Spirit deals with us, and we, we've read in here, and we know we've been disobedient and rebellious, because rebellious is another word for being disobedient. Uh, and, we, and, you know, we, all we have to do is read about what happens to rebellious people. Okay, but if we have, then, then God wants us to repent. God wants us to repent. We have an advocate with the Father. Okay? Man, God is good. He is really good. And he's not in the condemning business today. He's in the forgiving business. And, and there'll be a point in time in the future when, when Jesus is going to leave the, the seat of intercessor and he's going to sit in the seat of judge and he's going to judge the church. Now, what is the textbook God uses to cleanse you? This is the textbook. This is the textbook that God uses. Ephesians chapter 5, what, verse 26, um, says he, he, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And then it goes on to say uh, about the washing. How does that go, Brad? Washing of the word. Washing of, you know, he, he, he cleansed it so that it'd be a glorious church without what? Spot or wrinkle. Now listen, where, where's the illustration to do that? Now, all right, here. So that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. Now go to verse 27. That he might present her, talking about the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Okay, where do you have an illustration of that? In the tabernacle in the wilderness, before they ever went into the holy place, what'd they do? What'd the priest do? He'd go by the laver, he'd dip out that water, he would wash his feet and hands, wash all the dirt off before he ever went into that tent, to the holy place. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, remember what he did? He washed their feet. He took a towel. He came to Peter, and Peter resisted. How many knows the story? What did Peter do? He said, no, you ain't going to wash my feet. 
And Jesus told him, said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter got all upset and said, well, just wash all of me. He said, no, you're clean, but not all the way clean. You know, going through this earth as a Christian, you get your feet dirty. And you need to be cleansed, usually on a daily basis. And we need to allow Jesus to wash our feet. And we did come to the cross for cleansing. You're, he told Peter, he said, you're clean. You're already clean. But you do need to have your feet washed. You need to have your feet cleansed. That was a type of, of a daily, if you commit sin, take care of the issue. You have an advocate with the Father. Amen? Any questions? Yes. He's an advocate with the Father, yeah. He, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's His promise to us. He, and in fact, what He's doing in type, He's, he's washing your feet, okay? All right. Anybody else? Got a question? All right. Got a question. Yeah. Baptize you.